Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you on this very toasty Sabbath day. I hope the uh, the fans are gonna keep the temp at a reasonable um, at a reasonable temperature today. Um, well, happy New Year's. Uh, this is the very first Sabbath that we get to have worship together as a church, and we were supposed to have church together last week, but as many of you know. Uh, I went to the emergency room on Friday night, and uh, at about 9 p.m., I was like, I just called Jin Ha. I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. Let's just postpone opening church for 2023. And so anyway, it's good to see you all for the first time this year. Uh, I thought I would share a little bit of uh, what happened just because I think it bears an explanation. And um, and I realize for some of the online viewers, this may be news or it may not be news. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll share the story anyway. So early last week uh, on on Monday, um, I w- took the boys to Brunswick City Baths and we were just kind of having a good old time, like having a little bit of a water fight together. And um, one of the kids in the pool who I actually don't know who the kid is thought, you know what, I want to join in on the fun too. And I don't know if you've ever been to Brunswick City Baths, but the swimming pool is kind of lined with these uh, water guns, uh, these mounted water guns. And uh, anyway, I'm playing with Micah and Joshua and I get blasted in the right eye. And for those of you who have good vision and I, you know, I would try and anyway, for those of you who had good vision, you'll notice that my right eye is bloodshot. And uh, anyway, I get blasted in the eye, and I look up, and I was like, who was that? And here's this random kid having the time of his life, like, woohoo, I got him. And, you know, after I got over the initial kind of, like, shock of, like, oh, you know, the kid's like four or five, so just let him join in on the fun. And for the next few days, even though my eye was irritated, it was just slightly red. And then Friday morning rolls around and my, I, I open my eyes to the, to the light that's kind of shining into the room and my eyeball, it just starts throbbing in pain. It's like somebody had a handful of needles and just kind of like jabbed me in the right eye. And so I thought, well, that's not normal. And so I just thought maybe the pain will go away. And about midday after just like, constant throbbing pain I just thought this is not right and my poor family because I was light sensitive every room that I walked into the lights are turned off the blinds are shut and like my poor kids like ate breakfast in the dark they're like we can't see our food <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's true. well there was there was one time where uh, the light flicked on and I turned into like vampire dad I'm like turn the light off and I don't know if they saw like the monster bloodshot eye but anyway the light turned back off and I ended up calling Bernie and I was just like hey this is what's going on and Bernie said go see the optometrist so I go to the optometrist and the optometrist says go to the ED right now and I was like well what's going on I don't know walk into the Ionier hospital and I don't know if anyone has ever been to the Ionier hospital but uh, I walk in through the door and there are three people in front of me to get triaged and I thought well even though the room is full at least the line is not long one hour later I get to the front of the queue and I get triaged and registered and I was just wondering hey how long do you think this will take and she says well you need an initial assessment it'll take about an hour and they'll call your name great Three hours later, my name gets called and I get uh, assessed. And at the end of the assessment, I asked the nurse, hey, just curious, how long do you think this will take? And she says, about six hours. And I was like, 
forget, I'm going home. Like, <laughs> you take my eyeball. <laughs> like, I'm leaving. And, and the nurse is like, no, no, there's something wrong with your eye. You, you need to wait. And so I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll wait. And, uh, at about one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning, my name gets called and I get to the, uh, get to the attending doctor and he says, I'm just going to call my colleague. And I, I think he called the consultant. He's like, they're talking to each other and whispering and using medical jargon. I have no idea what, what's going on. And the consultant looks at my eyes and he goes, you've got conjunctivitis. You can go home. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I've got pink eyes. <laughs> like, and I should have been grateful that, you know, it, it wasn't serious, but I was like, just seven and a half hours of waiting in ED. I, was like, I should have just taken a nerf and gone home. But after looking online, everybody was right that it could have been something quite serious. And so the whole process was necessary. And I, I'm just grateful to be in a country where there's free healthcare, where I can actually walk into an ED, have a professional look in my eye and say, you're good. So I, I'm just very, very thankful. But um, I just I wanted to say thank you to um, there were so many people who uh, helped us during that time. I, I, Michael drove from Sydney to Melbourne on that Friday. And instead of going home and resting, we had to call him. We're like, hey, can you come over and just be with the kids at home? Jinha's going to come down and get me some warm clothes and some food. And so at about, I think he came at like 11 p.m. or something like that. He comes to our house, stays there so Jinha can pass me a bag. Um, thank you to Michael and Bernie, who are a family of doctors who are unofficially our family doctors. So thank you for all the phone calls and the texts and the what's going on here. So we really appreciate that. Um, Andy and Michael sent us food. All of you, many of you sent messages and kept me company on WhatsApp during my time in ED. So just thank you. Like we, we felt so supported and, uh, cared for. And like, I just thank you so much and sorry we didn't have church last week. Um, and from time to time, I'm going to be wiping my eye and it might seem like I'm being emotional, but my eye just like leaks. And so I realize this is distracting for you. Sorry. <laughs> and also I need to wipe my eye. So, <laughs> oh man. So where we're at right now is, uh, my eyesight is fairly clear, but I've just got like cloudy vision in my right eye. I don't know if any of you have glasses or wear sunnies when you're eating hot soup, but it's like, you know, when your lenses fog up, basically it's like that on my right eye. So, but I'm not in pain. And so a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> so today we're going to talk, we're going to be talking about, um, living with God versus living for God. And uh, to introduce this, I want to talk about um, New Year's trends. And I think usually we kind of go through this time of year where we make New Year's resolutions, right? New Year, new me. And I don't know if you've uh, gone online and seen the uh, ins and outs lists that people have been kind of posting. But uh, different magazines, websites, and blogs have been talking about predictions about which trends will likely phase in and phase out in 2023. And I just wanted to share an excerpt of uh, one of the lists. And this list was put together by uh, actor and podcaster Harry Hill. And this is his list. Uh, the first thing is uh, Anna Winter retires. And uh, this is the uh, longstanding editor of Vogue magazine, I believe. The next, uh, uh, the next prediction is uh, Taylor Swift announces she's directing a reboot of Gone with the Wind. Birkenstocks makes a sneaker. And Leonardo DiCaprio dates an older woman, at least 30 years old. 
Now, while this list is clearly a bit of a joke or um, maybe even a wish list, uh, reading through, I found reading through what other people were keeping or shedding was quite helpful uh, to reflect on what I wanted to phase in and what I wanted to phase out in 2023. So while your mind is on this topic, I wanted to suggest one spiritual discipline to phase in for 2023, and that is the habit of living for God. And today's, today's sermon is entitled, Living with God versus Living for God. And I'll explain what I mean by that phrase uh, by looking at the story of King Hezekiah. And I know it seems pretty straightforward. And as I, was, as I started reading through this story, I was like, I know where I'm going to go with this. And by the end, um, I kind of went in a complete different direction. So just bear with me before you feel like I'm about to hammer you with, uh, this is what it means to live with God versus for God. So just uh, bear with me. And normally uh, in homiletics classes, professors say, minimize your background, maximize your foreground. And I just wanted to apologize by saying today I'm going to maximize the background and minimize the foreground. That's just, I don't know how to get to my point without sharing the story. So bear with me as I go through the story. So Hezekiah is a king in Israel, and he takes over the throne from his dad, Ahaz. And if you look at Israelite history, Ahaz is not a good king. He is not a good king. He brings in idolatry. He encourages child sacrifices. And if you look through this uh, passage of scripture, you'll find that he has multiple failures in wars. Ahaz loses soldiers on the battlefield, and as a result, his people are taken captive, uh, captive and dispersed uh, through, the, through the different nations. Now, on top of that, he's even worse at diplomacy. So Ahaz, when he's going through these troubles, he turns to the king of Assyria and he says, hey, can you please help me? And he sends this tribute money to uh, the king of Assyria. And the Bible says that instead of helping Ahaz, the king of Assyria, he causes distress for him. So he takes the money and then he makes Ahaz's life worse. And so Throughout this time, Ahaz does not turn to God for help, and he's just known as this bad king. So enter Hezekiah. Now, usually in the Bible, when you have an heir to the throne who has a dad who is kind of like not a good king, he tends to follow suit. But in Hezekiah's uh, story, or in his case, he completely makes this 180 change, and he repents, and he turns to God. And I want to go through three chapters of Hezekiah's reign, and, and then I'll explain what I mean by living for God versus living with God. In chapter 1, we're going to talk about Hezekiah's reform. In chapter 2, we're going to talk about Hezekiah's rebellion. And finally, in chapter 3, we're going to talk about Hezekiah's restoration. So here's chapter 1, Hezekiah's reform. Now, the first thing that King Hezekiah does when he becomes king is he creates this spiritual reform in Israel. He pours resources into the temple. He renovates it. He kind of gathers all the priests and the Levites that were dispersed in uh, throughout Judea, and he gathers them together and he employs them. 
the Bible says that uh, he holds this massive worship celebration and he tries to get as many Israelites as possible to participate. And here's what the text says. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So can you imagine having this seven-day-long celebration? I guess if you've gone to, like, big camp, that's a pretty good picture of what this would have felt like. But seven days of worship. And the, the Bible kind of paints this picture of this amazing worship worship celebration that Israel has together. And they have such a good time. The Bible says that the whole assembly agrees to keep the feast for another seven days. Now, I can kind of understand extending celebration for maybe an afternoon or a day, but they double the length of time. That's like a very long time. I, I tried to think of a simile, but I couldn't. It's just a very long worship ser, uh, service. <clears throat> and clearly something special is happening. And so Israel experiences this revival, this reformation, and Hezekiah, as a result, then takes down all the idols of his father, and he begins to take back the land um, that was taken over by invaders. So the Bible says in Uh, yep, the Bible says in 2 Kings 18.7 that the Lord was with Hezekiah and he prospered. And then at the end it says, he rebelled against Assyria. Now that's a strange question, because uh, a strange statement, because the end of the story where we leave Ahaz, Assyria actually doesn't help Jerusalem. But here in the story it says, Hezekiah rebels. <clears throat> So basically what the text is saying that Hezekiah reviews his diplomatic relations and he comes to the conclusion, you know what? Assyria isn't actually doing anything for us and we're paying them tribute. Why are we doing this? And so he just says, let's not pay tribute anymore. And this brings us to chapter two, Hezekiah's rebellion. As soon as Judah stops sending tribute money, Assyria says, we are not having this. And the king sends his commander with the army of Assyria and he says, Go teach them a lesson. Well, when Hezekiah finds this out, he basically says, I'm sorry I've done wrong, and he sends 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, to put that into perspective, one talent weighs 25.8 kg. So that's a lot of precious metal. And keep in mind, Judah, it's not a worth, it's not a, a wealthy nation. Like, the previous king had kind of run the nation into the ground. And so you really get the picture that Hezekiah is like scrounging for precious metal. And the story goes that he peels back the gold plating from the, from the temple doors, and that's what he uses to pay as tribute. And you can imagine what this meant for Hezekiah and for Israel. Here's the most important building in the nation. They peel back the gold to send it as tribute, hoping that it will turn Assyria around. But instead of being satisfied, Assyria presses on towards Judah to teach them a lesson. You kind of get the picture that Assyria is kind of like, it's kind of like the mafia of that time. It's like, we need to teach you a lesson. The money is not good enough. Well, 
the Assyrian army arrives at the gates of Jerusalem. The army lays siege to the city, and the commander comes out, and he begins taunting Jerusalem and all that it stands for. The commander, he kind of, he just says horrible things about the people, the king, and their God. And it's really interesting because um, the text says that the commander speaks Hebrew, and he's speaking in their own language. And um, Hezekiah sends out these negotiators, and they're like, hey, can you speak in Aramaic? Because we understand your language. Uh, what you're saying is really, it's really bringing the whole city down. And instead of the commander going, ah, you know what? Maybe I'm being mean here. He kind of doubles down, and he does it even more. <laughs> and so the result of this is um, Hezekiah, uh, the Bible says that he tears his clothes, and he puts uh, on sackcloth and puts ashes on his head. and the culture of that time, that practice is like when somebody is in mourning, that's what they do. So Hezekiah is in mourning, and he goes into the temple of God, and he says, God, please deliver us. Please deliver us. And God hears Hezekiah's prayer, and he says, because you prayed to me, I will deliver Jerusalem. The story continues on that <clears throat> Assyria gets attacked by the king of Ethiopia, and the commander receives word to pull back his forces, to go back home to support the king. And that night, as he's about to pull his forces out, an angel goes out and basically wipes out the army. And you kind of like ask the question, man, they're already leaving. Why send out judgment? And keep in mind, Jerusalem has just sent out tribute funds to say, hey, leave us alone, and Assyria has taken those funds, but not turned around. And so you kind of see there are different times in which the commander could turn around and didn't turn around. And this is kind of like Judah getting back their tribute money and God saying, I'm taking care of you. Well, Hezekiah gets his tribute back, and this brings us to the final chapter of Hezekiah's reign, and that's restoration. So in chapter 3, the final phase of Hezekiah's reign, we find Hezekiah sick and about to die. And undoubtedly, Hezekiah is praying during this time, asking God for healing. And what happens is God sees his faithful king, and he sends Isaiah the prophet to speak with Hezekiah. And when Isaiah sees Hezekiah laying on the bed, he says, God wants you to know you are not going to recover. You're going to die from this. So get your affairs in order and get ready to pass on. And Isaiah turns around and he exits the room. Now, whenever you read a story in the Bible, this isn't really the outcome that you're expecting. Like if somebody's in trouble and God sends a prophet, usually the news is good. Like God is going to deliver you. God is going to heal you. You're going to get help. But here in this case, God says your worst fear is going to come true. Well, as Isaiah is walking out of the palace, Hezekiah, laying on his bed, begins to weep. And he says, God, I've been faithful to you. I've been loyal to you my whole life. And God then goes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah because I've heard his prayer and tell him I'm going to extend his life by 15 years. Now here's the king. His prayer is answered. And as soon as he hears the good word, instead of rejoicing, he's like, I need you to prove it. Like, can you give me a sign? And so the prophet goes, all right, 
See the sundial out there? There's a shadow. Do you want the shadow to move forward 10 degrees, or do you want the shadow to move backwards 10 degrees? Hezekiah thinks to himself and says, you know what? It's easy to move the shadow forward 10 degrees. I don't know why he thought that. <laughs> but he's like, it's easy to move the, the shadow forward 10 degrees. I want God to move it back 10 degrees. So God does, and he gets healing. Now, I don't think that God changed the rotation of the earth for one person. Um, I, I don't even know what it means physically to actually reverse the rotation of, of, of the earth. But I, I think that there was just something very personal that was given to Hezekiah. And the reason why I think this is because um, later, the very next scene of this story is that the king of Babylon sends this envoy to, or this envoy, excuse me, to uh, Hezekiah uh, just to kind of see, hey, how are you doing? I heard that you were sick. And the Babylonians, they were really interested in the cosmos. If the sun moved backwards 10 degrees, I think they would have talked to Hezekiah and said, hey, can you believe this happened? And Hezekiah would have then said, yeah, you won't believe it. I prayed. God said that he would heal me, and I asked for a sign, and this is what happened. That conversation just never happens. When, when the diplomats arrive to Jerusalem, instead Hezekiah just kind of shows off all the kingdom's riches and its wealth and kind of shows, look how great of a city we, and a nation we are. And he kind of sends the Babylonians back home. Well, Isaiah sends word to Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, that one decision that you made to show the Babylonians your whole kingdom is going to have a chain reaction of Babylon coming and destroying Jerusalem. And that's how Hezekiah's reign ends. Now picture this. His whole life, he's been faithful, and he's one of the good kings. But the very last decision that he makes leads to one of the darkest periods of, Israelite, of the Israelite nation's history. That, that exile into Babylon is a very significant thing for the Israelites. And it comes down to this one moment. So as you're sitting in your seats, I want to ask you, what's your impression of Hezekiah? What's your impression of Hezekiah? Maybe it's one that's positive. Maybe it's one that's negative. And my personality, for me, it's like, what's the effects of what you've done? That kind of determines whether or not you lived a good life. Like, what effect did you have? And Hezekiah's life, led to the destruction of his whole kingdom. And that's kind of a significant thing for me. I want to share how the Bible portrays Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, it says he, and that pronoun is referring to Hezekiah, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him, none like him among all the kings of Judah nor who were before him, or there was none like him. So in other words, the Bible is saying, this guy was the best that Israel had. This, this guy's the best that Judah had. And for me, that's really significant. When I started writing this sermon, I was kind of, I, I was challenging myself. I wanted to challenge the church. And I kind of wanted to highlight the good and the bad that Hezekiah did. Like, here's a moment where Hezekiah lived with God. Here's a time when Hezekiah lived for God. But as I went through the story and came to this one punchline, I just found that I'm looking at this story completely wrong. 
and I kind of redefined what it means to live with God. And here's my definition. Living with God is knowing enough about the story to form an opinion of what God thinks. Because for me, I would look at this and say, Hezekiah was a failure. But living for God is submitting to God's opinion throughout the story. In other words, it's more, it's more important to see what God thinks and what God feels as opposed to what I think and what I feel or what other people think and what other people feel. You know, in our story and in our own lives, we are constantly formed by the opinions of others. Do I look good in this shirt? Do I look good in these pants? Do I not look good in this shirt? Not good look at, not look good in these pants? And those opinions form ourselves because the opinions of others and our opinion of ourselves, it creates opportunity, it creates friendship, and those opinions leave legacy. But what I want to say here is not so much to disregard the opinions of others or ourselves, but to prioritize the opinion of God, to prioritize the opinion of God. In other words, God's opinion is sovereign. There are lots of times where people observe things and feel things that are accurate but not true. Somebody might say, Roy is a mess. And that might be accurate, but it doesn't mean that Roy is a mess his whole life. And taking the opinions of others as truth then causes us to not think about what God thinks of us. There's a passage that I want to share with you. There's a passage that I want to share with you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. And here's what the passage says. Paul is closing his thoughts on the love chapter, uh, the famous love chapter. And here he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I just want to challenge you to take a moment to look at this text and ask yourself, what is Paul getting at? What is Paul getting at? The whole chapter, he's building a case for love, and he's saying, here, this is kind of like the climactic end. This is what I want you to leave with. This is the idea that I want you to leave with. And I just want to say this. You know, Christian apologetics has been kind of like a significant thing in Christianity over the last maybe 10 or 20 years. If our apologetic stops at proving the existence of God, we do the gospel a disservice. And here's why. Because God is not just interested in us acknowledging that he exists. What he wants is for to take on his perception of us. So it's more important not just to see God, but to see the way that God sees. And that's how we arrive at love. Because love is truth. Criticism might be accurate, but it's not truth. And so then love then shapes, informs, and guides. See, I could look at the life of Hezekiah and just say, you were a royal mess up. Literally, Lord, literally a royal mess up. But that's not the way that God sees it. God's, God looks at Hezekiah and says, you brought about spiritual change to this kingdom. And that's why he's remembered. That's, that's how God remembers him. Brian Stevens is a lawyer who has dedicated his life to getting inmates off of death row. And he writes, each of us is more than the most, excuse, excuse me, 
Each of us is more than the worst mistake we have ever made. Each of us is more than the worst mistake we have ever made. And so when you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, there's records of prostitutes who make it to the hall of faith. You have Samson who slept with a prostitute and ended up committing suicide. He's in the, he's in the hall of faith. Gideon, who is a judge who set up an idol, he ends up in the hall of faith because when God looks at people, he looks at people through the lens of love. And so as you enter into 2023, I want to challenge you, rather than simply forming an opinion of what God thinks of the story, to submit to God's perception of the story and let the sovereignty of God's perception rule your life. And as you phase that in, may you experience a different quality to 2023. May God bless you as you consider his word. Jin has uh, saying, you need to pray. And I haven't done this in about a month and a half, so <laughs> actually, no, that's not true. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father God, we come before you today, and as we consider your word, as we consider what it means to live for you, to submit to your perception, May your view of us shift and change and transform our lives. Father, many of us are still going through a difficult time through 2023. Um, we were hoping that there would be relief and respite from the challenges of the pandemic, but Father, we still face them. And Father, we are constantly shaped by our circumstances and our perception uh, from ourselves and from others, and we are so deeply in need of you and what you think in your heart. And so I just pray that as we cultivate this uh, day by day, may you shape and guide and give us hope. We pray these things in your name.